Okay, so we praise God for another wonderful time today. Um, it's always great when we gather in God's presence to share His Word, to look into His Word. His Word is powerful. Great to have you. His Word is um, able to deliver us, able to save, and able to um, direct us all of the time. Praise the Lord. Last week, to do a quick recap, we're talking about the abundant life. Uh, we talked about, we asked ourselves a question, what is life? And uh, we answered this by saying, God, with God, the concept of life and death is primarily spiritual. It's nothing physical. Where we're talking about uh, the, the physical life we live here on earth is only a manifestation of something that is primarily spiritual in nature um, um for example the light bulb that we all have uh, on, on, on the walls and on, on our in our homes it is an intangible it's a tangible version of an intangible thing the intangible thing is electricity we all know and the, the light bulb that we see that we can touch is the tangible version that is the conversion of something that we cannot touch into something that we that we cannot see into something that we can see um it's undeniable the power of electricity that is in the wall that's in the cables and in the conduit system all around but that itself cannot be touched it cannot be physically held the only thing is that when we um touch it or when we when it becomes uh light we can see it so it's undeniable so as and the way we talked about as humans we are like light bulbs our real source is an unseen force with god life and death are essentially spiritual and not physical i'm just quickly running through all the things we talked about last week so we may cease to ex exist here on earth in this life but we continue to live glory to god it's nothing more than you and that's nothing more than you turning off a light bulb but there's still power in the cable in the cabling system and the framework in the conduit pipe so when you cease to exist here you are still alive man is an eternal being and he has an eternal future whether in heaven or in hell man is an eternal being we will all live eternally some people will live in eternal life in eternal uh, um, life with god eternal reign with christ and some people will live eternally in the judgment in he in heaven or in hell it's both eternal so Man is an eternal being and he has an eternal future whether in heaven or hell. So life and death is not what we often think it is. It's a matter of being in God or being without God. And that's so critical to understand because that is the bedrock and the basis of everything that Christ taught us um, and that the word of God offers to us in the new covenant. Glory to God. And it's an it is another thing to understand that this life then, this eternal life that God has given us, that Christ has given us, this abundant life is now. It is not a futuristic thing. So when we talk about eternal life, we're not talking about something only that 
happens in eternity where we will reign with Christ, you know, and uh, after the rapture and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, reigning with him eternally. That is not just what the eternal life is about. The We're going to get to the deeper meanings of this, but first of all, for the sake of now, let's just establish that this life eternal life in the original meaning is talking meaning is talking about the uh the life of god the life of the eternal one there's sometimes uh in the translations of several versions of the bible some details get lost you know and the real meaning of the eternal life that jesus christ spoke about repeatedly that apostle paul spoke about is a type of life not just a duration of life it is a kind of life, not just a length of life. So it is uh, the life of God that he has given us. For God so loved the world that he gave the only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life, everlasting life. The real uh, uh, on the meaning of that, original meaning of that is the life of the everlasting one or the life of the eternal one. So it's a type of life, glory to God. And that life is now, it's not futuristic at all. Eternal life is now, not in the future. Once you are plugged in now to God, you should begin to experience it now. It is a present thing, not a future thing. Glory to God. When you come, when you connect a cable to the wall plug, for instance, you, you should have power immediately, right there and then. If you don't, then something is wrong. The Bible says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's an it's immediate thing. It's an immediate promise. It's not a futuristic promise. God is now. His power is now. His life is now. And it, once you connect to him, you don't get a delayed transmission. You shouldn't get a delayed transmission of his power. When you are connected to God, you sh like you, I, I have several lights in this room that are connected. I, I, I don't connect them to the, to the plug in the wall and then expect power, power to flow in the future into the, into the device or into the, into the light. It, right now, right now, God's power, God's life that is giving us is meant to be experienced right now, very much right now. Glory to God. So the concept of life and death, like I said before, in God's terms, is a matter of being in Him or outside of Him. So when you are in Him, so many times in the scriptures, so many uh, instances where God talks about being alive and being dead, and He's talking about being in Him or being outside of Him. It's a matter of being with or without Him. Because God, this is essential to know them, because God designed us to live by him and through him and in him and with him. Through our scripture, um, God does not describe anything or anyone that is outside of him as alive. Glory to God. And he never describes anyone that is inside of him, in him as dead. So, when we die and leave this world, we are only putting off a suit, an earthly suit with, that we put off and we take on our heavenly, divine, glorified body. But that's all that happens. It's just a journey home. It is not, 
a death at its described in the human carnal sense. Glory to God. So we are living with Christ eternally. Uh, Ephesians, what, uh, Ephesians verse two from one, uh, chapter two from verse one to five says, "As for you, I mean, this particularly illustrates how God sees life and death, not just in the terms of the physical nature, but in Him, in the spiritual." As for you, uh, verse 1 to 5, as for you who were dead in your transgression and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work on those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. He says we were dead in our transgression. But because of his great love for us, which is mercy, he has made us alive in Christ. And when, when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that we have been saved. So you see that the context of life and death, again, that we're talking about in uh, before, before we read the scripture, is consistent here in this uh, portion of scripture because it refers to being in iniquity as being dead. And it is now, it is a matter of now. It is not when we die it is right now death and then being alive in christ is right now also it is not futuristic glory to god so in many instances also in scripture he refers to himself as life he says i am the way the truth and the life it doesn't just say i know the way or i have uh, the truth uh, and i give the life which would be the natural way that we would speak but he says I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So there's just something more that we need to understand about the word life. There's something more that we need to understand about the word abundant life. He refers to himself as life because it is because it is, he is everything that we need and nothing that we need is absent in him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. So what is abundant life then? Abundant life is the life of God. It is how God himself lives. It is how God himself lives. The abundant life is the life of God, and that is the same life that he shares with us through Christ Jesus. This is so important. This is so critical. This is the most profound part of this whole idea. The abundant life is the life of God. And that is the same life that he shares with you and me through Jesus. The same life that he gave me and gave to you Jesus Christ. No wonder Jesus taught us that he is the vine and we are the branches. Glory to God. Anything or everything that God um, for those of you just joining us, God bless you. You're welcome. For anything and everything that God uses as an example in scripture to describe himself or to describe what he's given us, we ought to take it seriously. Why? At the time that Jesus was here, he did not have the physical Bible, Genesis to Revelation, that we have to teach from. Jesus 
once in a while referred to the words of prophet Isaiah, the prophets in the, in the Old Testament, but it was not this complete Bible that we have. So, and most of these prophets lived in, the, lived in the Old Covenant, and he brought to show us a new way, a better way, a better covenant, just like the Bible describes the new covenant as a better covenant. And there was no other way for Jesus to explain it than to use live, real, day-to-day -day examples. So he would say, the kingdom is like this, and the kingdom is like that. Like a farmer who went to his farm and planted this and planted that, and then when the enemy came and sowed tears and overnight, and then blah, 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 and then says another story, and it's another story, another story, another story, like fishing, like farming, like uh, building, like everyday things that people could relate with. He used those examples to teach what the kingdom of, of God is about. Another instance says the kingdom is like some a man who uh, employed laborers in his field and some came to work at 8 a.m., some other came to work at 10 a.m., others came to work at 1 p.m., and another guy came at like 4 to 5 p.m., and the closing time was 6 p.m., so it was an eight-hour shift, and when the, when the shift was done, the guy brought out his checkbook and wrote the same check for everybody. And some people who had been working from 8 a.m. were complaining that, wow, how come we've been working all of the while and you're paying us the same wages, which is equal to you and me coming into Christ and having the same privilege as Paul or Peter or any of the apostles who knew him physically, which means that nobody is too late to come to God that nobody is too late to come to the knowledge of the truth. Nobody is too late. There is no seniority in sonship, which means that we are all sons and daughters and we have equal privileges in God. What an awesome thing. So Jesus Christ will use that example so we can grasp what this kingdom is about, what this life is about. So anything that God uses as an example, as, as, as a metaphor, we ought to take it seriously because that's him describing what the kingdom is about. So here he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So think of the vine and the branch. The, branch, the vine, the, 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 the always, always was the vine tree in the, in the old times, in the times of uh, when, um, in the New Testament times and in, the, in, the, in Israel, there was many vine trees. So he would use the vine tree as an example. He says, I'm the vine, I'm the vine, you are the branches. So it means that we share the same DNA. That's basically what he's talking about. Jesus is saying we have the same blood flowing in us. <laughs> that we have the same DNA. He says he is the vine and we are the branches. He's basically telling you we are connected as a branch and the vine together. He's basically telling you the same DNA flows in us. He's basically telling you we are connected to the same source and we are interwound together in God. So there's a problem if the branch is not receiving transmission of nutrients from the roots, from the vine. That's, that's a, there's a problem if there's a disconnect. He's practically telling us what he's giving us. He says he's the vine where the branches. It's basically telling us we are one family. We are one and the same. The same life that's in him is in us. Because the branch doesn't get its power source, its nutrients, its food, its, its sunlight, its water, its, its, its uh, everything from another part. It gets it from the tree that it belongs to.
So God is abundant in everything. And I'm going to come back to the, bar, the vine and the branch analogy later uh, as we, um, towards the end of this discussion. He says, he's the vine and the branch. God is abundant in everything. He has no limits. And we know that. And this is important. The biggest gift God has given you then is not your job, is not your wife, is not your husband, not your skills, not your talent, not your not in not your beauty, not your good looks. The biggest gift God has given you is that he gave you himself. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. But the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who lives inside of me, who gave himself for me. God could not think of any other thing to give you, so he gave you himself. He couldn't think of anything greater to give you. He gave you himself. And when he gave you himself, he gave you everything. The Bible says, he that does not, did not withhold his own son, but sent him that he may die for us. How shall he not freely with him give us all things? So every when God gave you Christ, he gave you everything that is in Christ. <laughs> you, it, it's like we can't be asking God for something that he already gave us. We only need to walk in the knowledge, in the revelation of it and take it by faith. Glory to God. I, sh I shouldn't be asking you when you give me a new brand new car and I get in the car and be asking you if the cup holder on the dashboard also belongs to me. It came with the car. Everything that came with salvation is yours. Everything that comes with being in Christ Jesus, you just need to get in the world and know it. It's already yours. We don't need to be asking if it is will to heal us or not, it is his will to heal us because it is part of the redemptive package. It is his will that we walk in health. I, I, it's ignorance for me to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, if it's your will that I should feel healthy today, how is it not his will? So, God could not think of any other greater thing to give you. He gave you himself. He gave you his life. His life. Do you know what it means? His life. If I give you, so, if I give somebody my life, if you've seen Trading Places, it just came to mind now, it's one of the movies from the 80s. Another person took another person's life completely. So all the money the person has belongs to this guy, or the, 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 the house, the beautiful thing, everything that he has belongs to the guy. Jesus told the parable of, of, of the prodigal son himself and he ended it by saying, the father said to the son, all that I have is yours. How more, how else would, be, would it have been more plain to us about this? All that I have is yours. So he gave you himself, he gave you his life. He took away your old life full of limits. Glory to God and gave you his own limitless life. He gave you his own life to live a life that's free of limits. He took away the limited life and gave you a limitless life, which is called the abundant life. 
and it is the Greek word for it in the New Testament is called Zoe, Z-O-E. Others write it as Z-O-I. It is a type of life. It is not a duration of life, eternal life. It is not in its length. Even though the length is part of it, but it's not all of it. So there are three words the Bible uses uh, for, for life. We describe the word life. Three in the Bible describes uh, uses the word life in three different contexts in the New Testament scripture in the original Greek uh, Bible. The New Testament was written in two languages, two languages originally. One is in Greek, the other is Aramaic, and every other thing was a translation. Every other version, NLT, KJV, ESV, any other translation you find today was translated from those languages and were translated by humans, people like you and me, some of them spirit-led, spirit-inspired, some of them just with an academic mind. So then some of the meanings can be lost in the process of several translations, okay? Um, three words for, for life. One is bios, B-I-O-S, from the word, that's from where biology comes from. It is, um, it refers to the life, a physical body as where we get the word biology from. The second one is Suke, P-S-U-C-H-E. Uh, the first one, though, in the, the bios, we find it in, I can give scripture references, Luke 18.44. And then the second one is Suke. Um, you find in Matthew 16.25, who says, for whoever wants to save his soul shall lose it. it Matthew 2.25 is talking about, for whoever saves, wants to save his suke shall lose it. The Greek word refers to the psychological life, the human soul. Glory to God. The one that stops existing when you, uh, the, the psychological life that we live, uh, the mind, the emotion, the will is where the word psychology is, com- is gotten from. Suke, like P-S-U-C-H-E. And then the third one is Zoe. It's in John 1-4 and many other instances, okay? But example, John 1-4, in him was life and this life was the life of men. Particular saying in him was Zoe, and this Zoe is a light of men. The, the Greek word refers to is the uncreated eternal life of God, the divine life uniquely possessed by God. Glory to God. And this, this Zoe is the one in John 3:16. For God so loved the world that gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him shall have Zoe, the life of God. Glory to God. So, when we were born again, we received the life of God. We received His his divine life. Let me read it as I said it. When we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were not only redeemed, we also received the divine life, Zoe, into us, which we were born again with the life, which means we were born again, putting off the old life now with the life of God. God brings us back to God's original, this brings us back to God's original intention for us, which is that we would have his life. He took away your old life full of limits and gave you his own life that is free of limits. He took away the limitless, limited life and gave you a limitless life. But there's a problem. We have received the limitless life, but most times, most of us approach it with a limited mentality. 
a limited mindset. We have something that has no limit. That's what we have. But we are using it less than its capacity. You have a limited perception of a limit. We, we, we tend to have a limited perception of a limitless life. There is only, and this life is only as real to you as your understanding of it. So, things like insufficiency, inadequacy, all of these things, they are mentalities. It's not a real state of being, it is a state of the mind. Abundance also, on the other hand, is a mentality, it's a perception, it's a paradigm, it's an understanding and a mindset. Both abundance and insufficiency are a matter of outlook on life. It's a matter of your outlook on life. If you believe you have something, for instance, you act like you have it, you think like you have it, you talk like you have it, and because you're in that paradigm under that internal narrative, you will attract the ideas to make it manifest. And if you essentially believe you don't have it, you think like you don't have it, you plan like you don't have it, you would act like you don't have it, you're going to talk like you don't have it, and the ideas that you are going to be inspired in your mind to do everything you ever do from a mindset of I don't have it. Glory to God. So if the life God has given us or you is his own life, then what is insufficient about that life? That's a very important question for us to ask. What's insufficient about the life that God has given us? Most of what the problem we have is the insufficient revelation to live that life. Insufficient knowledge. Insufficient revelation. There are different kinds of unbelief. That's not our topic today. But if I may delve that to that, that very quickly, there is unbelief that is due to ignorance. We just don't know. There's unbelief that is sometimes I call educated unbelief, which is the type that needs proof and evidence for everything or else they won't believe. More like what Thomas had. You have to find, you have to put your hand in the hole, you have to see it. If you don't see it, that's why many people don't believe in God because they can't believe in a God they cannot see. And there's another, and this is just me touching all of this on, on the head, just a little bit. And then there's another kind of unbelief that is called on being fully, being uh, not fully persuaded. So we know it, but we're not fully convinced. We're not fully persuaded. And that's what differentiates between faith and just a mental, mere mental agreement with the word of God. Oh, that Jesus is the son of God. Even the devil knows that. Jesus said himself, he said that you know that the son of God, that even the devil knows that. So just the knowledge that he is the son of God is no what really changes our lives. It is a total persuasion that he is who he says he is and we are who he says we are and walking in the reality of it. 
to the point where it propels us to action, that's full persuasion. And that's where faith is generated. So people are kind of familiar with the idea that he gave his life, meaning that he died in their place, which is true. But the real meaning of that is that he didn't only take a punishment for you, he exchanged his life for yours so that you can now live his life. He became your substitute. He took your old life, your old life, and gave you his. He gave you himself as a gift. He gave you his life as a present reality, as a present gift. So you can be living like him right now. Glory to God. So you can, so you can live the life that you live as though he's the one living it. He gave you permission and authorization to live your life right now as though he's the one living it. He gave me his life to live as though he was the one living it. So, he gave me the life, glory to God, to live as though he's the one living it. So, I can be a husband to my wife as though Christ is. <laughs> I have to picture myself in the Christ. I picture how Christ would be the husband to the lady. I have to picture myself as a wife, how Christ will be the wife to the man. I have to picture myself as a parent, how would God, how would Christ parent these children himself? You know, that changes everything. When you see yourself in the image of Christ, it changes everything totally. And that life is what's called the abundant life, the limitless life, the life of God himself. There's so many things to explain here. But that's the abundant life, and that is the life of God himself. That is the life that God has given to you. I have a few scriptures. John 17 from verse 1 to 5. I'm going to read them through them very quickly. This word spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should be, that he should give eternal life to as many thou hast given him. And this life, and this is, now watch this. This is a very critical part. This is the part that a lot of people overlook. And Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God. Look at what Jesus calls eternal life. Knowing him, the only true God. Not some living for billions of years to come alone, but intimacy, knowledge. And that knowing there is the, from the original Greek word, ginosko, which talks about intimacy with him. That's what Jesus calls eternal life, intimacy with God. So, and this is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent, 
I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou givest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thy own self and with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And so many, you can read all of John 17. There's so much, so much, so much there. Um, Romans 8, 11 says, But if the Spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So it's basically saying the same Spirit that's in Christ is in us. John 10, 10 says, I have come. He had first said, uh, the enemy has come to steal, to kill, to destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that they may have zoe, that they may have life and have it abundantly. And as we close, I begin to ask the question, what must we do then to begin to live this life? First, we must know this life and what it offers. We must get in the word of God to know. The word of God should be our mirror. We should get in the word of God. Like I said earlier, the one of the examples that the Bible uses to describe the word of God in terms of metaphor again is a mirror. It says, uh, whoever look, uh, when you look into the word and you do take the word and you don't do it, it's like a man who looks into the mirror, turns back and immediately forgets how he looks. So, the word of God should be our mirror. So we should look in the word of God. The first thing is look in the word of God. Have a life that's, that is um, set up, that is disciplined enough, that is... Um, that is excited about finding out from the word of God who you are. Because everything Jesus taught about the kingdom, it's meant to be studied, observed in the life of Jesus himself. First of all, I mean, one of the things we notice about Jesus is that he worried about nothing. And this is included in the life of this quality of life that is given to us. Jesus never worried about anything. He says in Philippians 4, 6 to 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, with thanksgiving, make your request known, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your heart and mind together. That is the quality of life. Can you first of all imagine yourself right now being worried, anxious about nothing? Nothing. That's the life you're supposed to be living. The life that makes a man to be sleeping at the bottom of the ship that there was a storm and it's about to capsize and they had to go wake him up and say, don't you care if we perish? And he woke up and rebuked the storm. Now, you may not be in a boat or a ship that is sinking, but financially, it may seem like your boat seems want to sink. Medically, it may seem like your boat wants to sink. Emotionally, it may seem like your boat wants to sink. In, every, in many ways, professionally, it may seem like your boat wants to sink. Can that life be a reality to you in those moments and walk around and still be singing and clapping and people asking you, oh, something must have happened this morning. You're so happy today. And you, it's because of the life. 
Because most of the things we worry about never really happen in the first place. Worry itself is a spirit. And that spirit looks for everything to worry about. And when one thing is over, it's latching onto the next thing. It's, never, it's an endless cycle, worrying and worrying and worrying. And God has given you this life. And there is always a word in the scripture for every situation. Jesus Christ taught us, he says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And he said that in Mark 11, 22 to 23. I can go on and on about the context of that and why he said that to bring out something to support this uh, discussion today, but we are out of time. But he says, finally, I am the, just like I said, I was going to come back to this. I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abided in me, I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And you know the good news? You are not without him. You're not without him. So how do I begin to live that life right now? Paul says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5. Jesus never had a single need that wasn't supplied. And that same life he has given you. There is nothing more to abundant life than knowing that you already have everything in abundance through Christ Jesus. And beginning to walk, talk, think, and act like you know it. That is how the power is released. Getting rid of the insufficient and not enough mindset. First of all, you have to get rid of the mindset, I am not enough, I'm inadequate. The Bible says you have the abundant life. You have the life of the eternal one. You are adequate, you are enough. God, you, because greater is he that's in you, than he that's in the world. He has given you himself. What else do you need to be adequate? What else do you need? The scripture says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And it says his, his grace is sufficient. There is a word to every, there's a God, God's word takes care of every situation we would ever go through. There is a word solution to every problem we would ever encounter. The solution is activated by taking the word of God and applying it, using it to define our identity, using the word of God to redefine our thoughts and self-image, applying it like a medicine. You know, many of times we apply the word of God like a body spray and not like a medicine. The body spray stay on your clothes and when the wind blows, after a few hours, it's gone. But medicine goes through your blood veins. I mean, it goes through the, your bloodstream and acts all around your system. A body spray is just temporary. It's just like we take up the word of God and we're just excited. In the moment, it's no more than a few momentary excitement, but it's gone. Monday morning, we're back to that depression. We're back to that discouragement. We're back to that same situation we were in. That's like using the word of God like a perfume. It's just temporary. It smells good in the moment. Oh, come on, like that. But it's, it fizzles out. But that's not how the Bible says we should use the word of God. It says we should use it like medicine. Listen, 
Proverbs 4, 20 to 20 says, My son, attend to my words. Incline thy ear to my saints. Let them not depart from thy eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. It says what? For they are life to those who find them. And then health to all their flesh. Another version of the Bible says, medicine, medicine to all their flesh. Kenneth Hagin wrote the book, he called it God's Medicine. And this was the scripture that's in it. And he explained so much. It's such a phenomenal book that the wife of the Egyptian president was sick. And the, the president, it was a terminal disease. They had said she was going to die in three months. And this president got hold of this book. He read it. He gave his wife. They read it. I'm talking about a Muslim nation. They read it. And they requested to see Kenneth Higgins and he prayed with his wife and the wife was healed of that disease. And the man gave it to his cabinet members. The same book called God's Medicine. He says his word is health to all your flesh. There is no emotional problem. There is no physical problem. There is no mental problem. There is no psychological problem that his word has not made a provision for. None. But it gives you a prescription here. It says incline. That means that dwell in the world. It says don't let them depart from your eyes. So if you have to make it a screensaver on your phone all the time so that you see it, that's, if that's how it doesn't depart from your eyes, if it has to be on your dashboard, if no matter what, you've got to feed on the world. You've got to feed your faith and starve the doubts. And the, the, the word of God is faith food. The word of God is faith peels. The, the faith feels, feeds on the word. Your faith can grow outside of the word. It doesn't grow when you watch CNN, not CBS, because they're going to tell you every negative thing that's happening in the world. It's only the word of God that can make your faith grow. Your faith cannot grow just by just a mental accent or mental agreement merely with the word, it is by inclining yourself in the word of God that makes faith to rise up in you, that you feel like you can do anything. The word of God is what has that kind of power. So using the word of God to define and redefine situations is another way that this life becomes real to you. Reminding ourselves that what God says it is, is what it is. Otherwise, we call God a liar and his word is not true. So this whole thing is not about, it's not more, it's nothing more than you living as one who already has everything abundantly because we have everything we need. We just need to get in the word of God for it to become and dwell in the word enough for it to be a reality to us. Second Corinthians verse 9 Chapter 9, verse 6 says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, and that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Look at that word, all grace, including the grace to be a father, all grace, including the grace to be the right uh, head in your department at work, all grace, including the grace to be uh, the 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 businessman and the entrepreneur that you should be. All grace, including the grace to be able to find solution to problems that people have not been able to find solution to for ages. All 
grace, the sufficiency of this grace, everything we need is already provided for in the world. There's some things that I wanted to share today, but we don't have time for. Um, but this is the abundant life that God has given to us. It's in renewing our mind to it and beginning to walk in the light of it. It's not already, it's already in scripture. God, I also say all the time, God is not going to release a version two of the Bible. Like many books, philosophical books have several volumes, one, two, three, four, and there in the, in the uh, chests. And we can see so much like academicians uh, have so much versions, so many versions of the same book, you know, and all of that. It's not so with the word of God. His word is settled. The Bible is inerrant, is the inerrant word of God, and it is complete already. We are the ones who need to catch the light and catch the revelation of it so that we can begin to walk in the light of his word. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you.